توحشت امي وفرش الدافي وخويا زين ايامي وصغر احلامي وبويا توحشت اللين وريحة الياسمي Hello, you are listening to Maghribin Past and Present Podcasts, a space dedicated to history, art, culture, politics, sociology, anthropology, and many other subjects. This episode is part of the Kirk Andrew W. Mellon Foundation Fellowship in Modern Art History Program and was recorded via Zoom on the 3rd of March, 2022. In this podcast, we welcome Christine Khouri, a researcher and a board member of the Arab Image Foundation in Beirut, presenting a lecture titled From Palestine to North Africa and Back, Transnational Solidarity in the Arts in the 1970s. To see related slides, please visit our website www.themagrippodcast.com. This research project is a project that I have undertaken with my colleague Russia Salti. So this is certainly not a project of one, not even a project of both of us. It's really a collaboration, a project of many, many people historically over time that have, you know, have done all this work and others who have helped us um, do research and share their own histories. The, this research project was part of a, you know, one part of a much larger kind of envisioning of this history of Arab modernities initiative, which I can speak to maybe afterwards. Um, but this one of our interests in looking at um, the history of modern art in the Arab world was looking at the history of exhibitions as prisms to understand different types of collaborations, understanding what uh, what was happening at that time in different cities. And so we, this is one of the projects was this research project that focused around one exhibition called the International Art Exhibition for Palestine, uh, which took place in Beirut in 1978 uh, at the Beirut Arab University. And we came across this catalog at a gallery in Beirut at Ajial Gallery in the library, which, you know, in the, as you probably uh, have experienced the case of galleries, their libraries often have the most, some great material and resources where otherwise would be difficult to find, you know, in bookstores or other libraries. So this project really began with the finding of this catalog, which you see here. Um, it was actually not this exact physical copy. I think this one is from Mohammed Malihi, who generously gave us a copy that he had. So what happened was we had this catalog. We were looking, started looking through it, um, as you see uh, here. And we were really astonished by what we saw. We saw the names of 200 artists from 30 countries that participated in this exhibition. Um, this exhibition took place um, in the middle of the civil war in Lebanon in 1978. It opened on March 21st. So I can't even calculate how many years ago at this point. Um, and it took place at the Beirut Arab University. It was organized by the PLO's plastic arts section uh, under, under which was, it was part of the Unified Information Office which was responsible for producing a lot of other um, cultural events, posters, films, etc. cetera. Uh, there were a few texts in the catalog. Uh, there was a message by, um, a text by Muna Saudi, who re just recently passed away, Jordanian artist, who is the director of that section. 
and one of the organizers of the exhibition, there was a page of acknowledgements, which I'll show you. And just simply looking at the names of artists, um, we tried to understand um, forensically how they came to be part of this exhibition. Um, there was no, no, until this, you know, at this point, there not there really had not been any writing about this exhibition. So we had to rely on people's memories, uh, what they remembered about this. And what astonished us about this exhibition, just simply by looking at the catalog, was the breadth of the names, uh, the countries from where artists came. And what we were so curious about was why. Where did these artists come from? Why were there so many artists from Poland, from Italy, from Japan? How did they come to participate in an exhibition in support of the Palestinian cause? So we started to, so this is a bilingual catalog in Arabic and English. Um, so we started looking into it, uh, really forensically looking at the names, figuring out who was around, who was not, who had passed. Um, and we started doing interviews in Beirut very naturally with people who may have attended this exhibition with Mona Saudi herself um, about what she remembered about the exhibition. Some people remembered it very well, other people remember it at all. I mean, we were asking about an art exhibition, you know, three years into a civil war um, and in a city that was divided. So it was not necessarily accessible for people from the eastern side of the city to visit. And so in this process, we very quickly understood that memory was something that we're going to have to battle with and contend with and make peace with. Uh, that people have different memories of these moments, that this was a traumatic period. Um, and so asking questions about this period, about one's involvement in a cause that one may still be a part of, um, may have kind of petered off and focused on, you know, their own practice, artistic practice. It's been a long time since this exhibition, and that's the reality of when you ask about these historical events, you're going to get different memories. So there were a lot of gaps that sort of became very clear to us and still remain in the research around this project. Um, to add, there was no archive that we could go to to understand the making of this exhibition. Why? Because in 1982, with the Israeli invasion of Beirut, the PLO's um, offices were targeted. So much of the material that would have been a part of the archive was destroyed. So in a natural kind of traditional research process of looking for archives um, related to an event, you know, official archives, we did not have that opportunity. So we had to rely on unofficial you know, archives, private archives, people's homes, and, and mostly people's memories, which could have, was very hard to fact check. And I think that's why one of the very important things is that we call our research project really a speculative research project or the, the final form of this research called Past is Quiet. It's a speculative exhibition. We, we can only speculate as to these histories and offer all the versions of these stories that people have shared with us. So here I'll show you this is version of the um, list of names. Some are missing. I think there just wasn't enough space. I don't think that the Russian artists, the Soviet artists were excluded for any reason, but it's just interesting to note that for those who are focused on North Africa, which most of you are, you'll be able to see some familiar names, hopefully. Um, and I'll speak kind of at the end towards to Morocco primarily. So as you can see, the exhibition, the, the artists, um, they were all listed by country of origin. Um, but what's most interesting is that this listing really masks the connections, affiliations, and collaborations among these participating artists and among others who are part of it. As our research process continued, we were really curious about why there were so many artists from France, Italy, Poland, and Japan. Why were there, you know, what drew these artists in particular, and what drew artists from those countries to be so supportive of the Palestinian cause? 
And here we see the list of acknowledgements. So another kind of clue or series of clues of names of individuals, um, some of whom are known or were known to us, others of whom we had no idea. And so what this sort of mass maps out is galleries, a role, different galleries around the world played a role in supporting this project, um, different artists um, as artists wearing their artist hat, but also as, you know, as facilitators, as uh, friends, as leaders within their kind of arts communities, and also PLO representatives, which was another very important um, kind of network uh, that ignited kind of these uh, connections of artists that participated in the exhibition. So, and here's the, you can see the the work of Mohamed Shabao that was uh, part of the exhibition that was used for the invitation. And just, I mean, simply looking at that that work and also the number of languages that this exhibition invite card was in, which is pretty remarkable. I don't think we see this today, is a testament to who this was built by and who this is for ultimately. This was very much the process of our research was we were really interested in trying to explore links connections. And so what became very um, clear to us through kind of these early conversations with people, well, rather maybe a couple of years in a few conversations was that it was connections between people that made this project possible and that many people were responsible for this exhibition coming together. So to note what was not these artists that participated, it was not just an exhibition, but in fact, all these artists donated their artwork to the PLO to be part of a future museum in solidarity with Palestine. So this exhibition is twofold um, of importance, not only that it was an exhibition that took place with many, uh, like a huge number of participating artists from around the world, but in fact, that it had a long-term plan, that there was a larger vision, and um, which was that these art artworks would be part of a collection, a growing collection, that was a, a solidarity collection for Palestine that would eventually, when Palestine were to be a free democratic state, would return to Palestine and there would be a museum with these artworks. So you have this collection that was that came out of this exhibition, which is really remarkable to think about. Um, so with that, there were two major sort of um, strains of research that are kind of strands of research that we tried to follow. Number one was trying to understand what these networks were, what were those affiliations behind those names that we saw behind these countries, behind the individuals who were acknowledged, what connected them, what ideas connected them, what events connected them, what practices connected them. Um, and then what was this idea of this solidarity museum? What, where did this come from? Were there others like it? Uh, you know, this, it was a pretty remarkable idea to us. We had never heard of another like, museum that kind of came into existence or the idea of a collection built by donation um, at that time. So he'll, here you'll start seeing these, you know, this is just a practice. This is a video um, from our exhibition is still from the video. We're really drawing the links between events, which I'll speak, you know, to a few of them, artists, collectives, um, you know, big, larger biennials, um, museums and uh, and different individuals and, and sections or groups of artists and departments within kind of governments. The two posters from the exhibition, um, the left by Dia al an Iraqi artist, the right by Mohamed Malihi, which interesting again through this forensic work is really like analyzing these small things. So when looking at the poster by Malihi, you start seeing new names that were not present in the catalog. One can only assume then that artists gave work that, you know, after the fact that the catalog was produced, but their names made it into the poster. So really trying to stitch these um, 
these names together and these pieces of, of evidence together, just simply to even know who participated was part of the work that we were doing. Um, you know, in, in the research, um, what, you know, was what really shifted the project was in that in 2011, we were introduced to Claude Lazare, a French artist whose name appeared in the acknowledgements and in the French artist section. Uh, Claude, we were introduced to, um, and he had told us, if you ever come to Paris, let me know, I'd be happy to meet you. Uh, I remember the exhibition, I actually went to Lebanon for the exhibition. It's okay, that's a surprising, interesting to know. Um, and keep in mind, we started this research in 2008, we had this catalog, we had some newspaper articles, including one like this, um, but not much more than that, uh, and people's memories, of course, um, but in terms of archival material evidence, images of the exhibition, we had none. Um, so we, you know, made an appointment, met with him, went to a studio in Montmartre, he opened the door and he said, I've been waiting 30 years for you, and he had three boxes of archival material to share with us. There were press clippings, um, photographs, and I get chills every time I say that because it really is true. Um, photographs, press clippings, documents uh, related to this exhibition, but also his practice as a, a pretty radical artist uh, in France and a member of the Jeune Peinture, and actually one of the sort of behind the scenes links uh, between this exhibition or really kind of person behind this exhibition in terms of ideas. So Claude, there's Claude on the left, um, and a Palestinian artist, Nasser Sumi in the center, and Khalil Akkari, a Syrian artist on the right. So in fact, Claude did go to Lebanon. This was part of an atelier that they had set up during their time there. Um, he and a number of artists traveled to Lebanon for the exhibition. Um, and so what became, um, what was really remarkable to us was that in our conversation with him and trying to understand what the story with this exhibition was, who was involved in it. He acknowledged all the work that happened in Beirut on the side of the part of the um, plastic art section, Mona Saudi and imagining an international art exhibition. Uh, but what he shared with us was his own experience of his friendship with Azadine Kalak, who was the PLO's representative in Paris at that time, who was a huge supporter of the arts and really believed that the only way to imagine a revolution was through artists and through people and not through armed struggle. And Azadine was a friend of filmmakers, a friend of artists, um, and was a really um, a really remarkable figure who whose story had not been told really until that time. And so that is one of these networks that emerges, these PLO representatives, these PLO representatives who believed in art and culture. And Wajih Qasim Abu Marwan, who was the PLO's representative, Morocco was another central figure who I'll speak about in the end. So there were these individuals in different cities who, um, you know, these stars align, these um, characters, um, you know, figures really believed in uh, in the, you know, in the in the movement of national liberation or a struggle for justice and equality through the arts, through working with filmmakers and with artists. Um, and so Claude was one of those. And so he told us the story about how um, in uh, in the around 1974, I guess, um, he was approached by Chilean artists who were in France at the time, who asked if they would give a work, if he would give a work to um, the Museum of International Resistance for Salvador Allende. And I say this very long name of a, of a, a project, um, and I will sort of give you the, the story. So essentially what was uncovered through this conversation with, with Claude was that the genesis of the International Art Exhibition for Palestine links it to Chile, links it to this project 
um, called, which I'll kind of use the shorthand, MIRSA. Um, the it was this was a project organized by Chilean exiles and supporters after the 1973 coup d'etat in Chile, and there was an earlier incarnation which was initiated by Salvador Allende, which was called the Museo de la Solidaridad, the Museum of Solidarity, which was in existence from 71 to 73. And so, um, so the conversation, so one of these kind of the genesis of the story links it links it to Mirsa, um, and. And it was through Claude that we kind of learned of that. Um, we had not known about this project uh, or initiative of this museum in exile in support of the Chilean people after the coup, if it were not for him. Here, I show this image just because the circulation of artwork was something that we started following within the project. So this was the work that Claude had made during the workshop in Beirut. Below, you see it, an exhibition that they held in the courtyard of the Beirut Arab University, the same place where the exhibition happened, but it was a couple of months later. Then you see that it transforms into posters. So this is something that maybe you're all familiar with, how to really also break and break open the idea of the circulation of artwork beyond the, the circulation of the physical object, but really to the image of the artwork and how that shows itself on covers of magazines and posters and other forms. So this is something that was very important to us. Here are some images from Claude's archive of the installation of the exhibition, of the opening of the exhibition. And again, these were images that became forensic tools for us where we really started saying, who's in this image? Can we identify people in this image to then speak to or to understand? So on the top right, this is the, um, the GDR, the ambassador from the GDR who was in Lebanon at that time with Esmail Shamut, who was a Palestinian artist. Um, who he and uh, Tamam Akal, also an artist, his wife, were very involved in the PLO's uh, culture section or um, a different department from the one that organized this exhibition. So these were clues that we were able to sort of start piecing together and, and speaking to different peoples. Here's an image that we don't like showing that often, at least in the case of the, the form of the exhibition, because, you know, you can, one can um, fantasize or kind of ones that fantasize what this what this means, what this looks like. So this was an exhibition of some of the visiting artists, Paolo Ganna and Bruno Caruso, um, both Italian artists um, who came from Italy for the exhibition and a number of fighters with uh, work by an Iraqi artist, um, Hamid Ghani. They had dinners, they hung out. And this other exhibition took place after the workshop. Um, and we could only assume that these works came to be a part of the collection that was that was started. This form of exhibiting work in public space is another theme that came to be very clear throughout the research. And, and I think a lot was also inspired by practices in France, but also in Morocco of bringing art into public space and out of the galleries. Here you have on the left, Azadine Kalek, who is um, taking around the, some of the PLO cadre to see the exhibition. So I just want to sort of speak to some of these museums and also kind of hint, speak a little bit about some of the chapters of the networks of some of these uh, collectives and practices that, that came up throughout the research. Um, so in the context of, I've mentioned Mirsa, this, uh, the Museo Internacional de la Licencia Salvador Allende, the project was something that where celebrated Argentinian writer Julio Cortázar, who was exiled in Paris, he had been a passionate supporter of of this project um, in France. And he also was one of the individuals who presented this project as of a committee in France. Essentially, there were committees that were set up all over the world to oversee the collecting of artworks and uh, the exhibition of this collection in a number of countries in Algeria and Colombia, Cuba, Finland, 
um, France, Italy, Mexico, Spain, Sweden, Panama, the US, Venezuela. There were committees all over the world that were collecting artworks in support of Allende after the coup took place. So again, to think really about this initiative of artists donating artwork and exhibiting artwork in support of a political cause or in response to a coup is pretty remarkable. Um, you know, I think it's not to think about today what would happen, but to think that that, that the meaningfulness of what a museum was um, and of giving artwork in support of a political cause is pretty um, remarkable and was something that was happening clearly around a number of political causes at that time. So the story with this collection is that it toured to a number of places. Here are some of the posters um, and catalog covers. Um, and it was really possible because of artists who donated works um, and those who had responded again to Allende's original call, but you know had then been exiled, as well as local solidarity committees in support of Chile around the world. The collection um, over time toured to various countries and in 1990 during um, the presidency of Patricio Ailuin, the process to repatriate the various collections to Chile began. Um, and uh, today, the, the, well, the Salvador Allende Foundation established, um, it was instituted by presidential decree and in 1991, the Museo de la Solidaridad Salvador Allende was inaugurated in, um, in Chile. Um, and the museum has moved a number of times, but the story of this collection in support of the of, of Allende had came to fruition as a museum in its third stage, um, from it being a museum in solidarity to a museum in exile, and today in a museum that exists in, in Santiago de Chile. So again, what kind of links these museum projects together, these exhibitions, this is an image of uh, an exhibition in Tuscany um, organized by a couple of um, collectives, which I'll speak about very briefly. But here you see two works, both by Claude Lazare, this French artist. The work on the left was a work about Palestine that he gave to this collection for Chile. So you start seeing this cross-pollination of political causes. So he gave a work about Palestine in support of Chile. And the work on the right is the work that Claude made that he gave and exhibited in Beirut for the exhibition in support of Palestine. So you start again through this project and through simply, not simply, but through looking at these images over and over again, you start understanding the links through the artworks and through their travel between these different causes and between these different exhibitions. Um, so that's Claude with that work in Paris, in Beirut in 1978. On the left is this work in Chile today um, in their storage. So as I start sort of speaking about this, there, you know, this is where the networks also, the networks of artists um, come in. The project Past is Quiet, really um, one of like, as, as I mentioned, one of the two major uh, kind of lines of interest or inquiry were threading the connections between these different um, uh, nodes. And among those nodes, as you saw kind of with the hand drawing, um, uh, still were collectives of artists. There are public interventions and exhibitions that range from places like Baghdad to Paris, Tokyo, Venice. Um, and we're really interested in trying to under, understand or uncover the context and mechanisms of mo mobilization of artists and how political engagement impacted their practice. Um, and so this, the catalog for the International Art Exhibition really allowed us to do that. As I mentioned, the greatest number of artists um, came from France, Italy, um, Japan, Iraq, and Poland. Um, and many of the artists in France, for example, were part 
of uh, belong to the anti-establishment artist-run association um, uh, of Vision Banture, which also included subsets of militant artist collectives that were radicalized after the upheavals of May 68. Um, here's a, um, a mural that was done by the collective, the Collectif Palestine, that was part of the Salon Vision Banture. Um, here is where you start to see the intersection between two different collectives, so that Collectif Palestine and Archie Coda, which was um, a, a collective of artists um, that was in Tuscany, um, that was based in Tuscany. And uh, these were artists who were also producing, that were um, mobilizing art in public space. All their exhibitions took place in public space um, around different political causes, whether it was Vietnam, Chile, Palestine. Um, and so this was in the studio of Sergio Traquandi, an Italian artist, um, who has these, you know, who had these slides and that revealed again through this archive, the links between this collective of the Jeune Venture and uh, the Archicoda collective in Tuscany. Another node that kind of drew these two together, spelled incorrectly, uh, by Rashid Koreshi, who is the person who's drawing this, Talazatar. Uh, this was an intervention that was done as part of the Venice Biennial in 1976. So, what you know came from this archive, in fact, from Sergio Traquandi, revealed um, the this sort of uh, this event that took place that was initiated by this collective in collaboration with this uh, Jeune Peinture in France, which Rashid was a part of, in response to the massacre at Le Zatar. And so, what happened was a number of these um, kind of itinerant um, happenings or events. You can see where there were um, there was a stencil that was painted by different individuals, by people in the public. There were infographics. Um, there was music um, in support of the people of Palestine. Took place within the context of the Venice Biennial. Again, a history that has not kind of been told in the context of the Venice Biennial, but it seems to be very marginalized. But um, you know, this took place. Um, during a time when workers could leave uh, work um, in Mestre, just outside Venice. Um, this in exact image is not from Venice, but it's in fact from another, a town in Tuscany. Uh, but this is, you know, again, one of the kinds of events that appears as art in public space, um, and not just art for art's sake, but in fact, as a political gesture and to engage the community in understanding what was happening, um, what where attention needed to be focused um, at that time. So you know, coming into another type of, another collective was one of my um, favorite called the Japan Afro-Asian Latin American Artists Association, JALA is the shorthand. Um, when we looked, we were very surprised by the number of artists from Japan, even just trying to, because of transliteration, identify their actual names and then find them in Japanese was very difficult. Of course, we don't speak Japanese, but we worked with researchers there. And so, the story of Japan actually is linked in a number of ways, um, not only from the number of artists that gave to the exhibition from Japan, uh, but in fact, the idea behind the exhibition in Beirut was that the collection would travel. It would travel in the way that the collection in support of Chile was traveling. It was a museum in exile. So part of the collections of um, in that came, that came together first in Beirut traveled to Norway, but first traveled to Japan. And it also traveled to Iran and not the whole collection, but a part of it. So here, um, and this was really facilitated by the PLO's representative in Tokyo at the time, Fatih Abdel Hamid, who again was like Azadeen Kalek, really believed in the role of art in conveying, um, in changing, you know, the hearts and minds of people to understand the importance of the Palestinian struggle. And so here you see some 
this is from the catalog of the history of the organization, a sort of a radical third world artist group um, uh, that was established by an art critic uh, and also a writer um, uh, and a number of artists. And here, what also appears in this catalog is new artworks that join the collection that were not there in, in that Beirut version of the catalog. So you see a different work by Mata, a work by Vassarelli, another work by Melihi that we hadn't seen before. Uh, one of the really remarkable findings in um, Japan was um, a publication published by the PLO's office there. So the PLO had a, a pretty amazing active office um, called Philistine Biladi. Here you see a couple of pages where they're teaching Arabic to the readers of this magazine. And this magazine was not only focused on Palestine and the liberation of Palestine, but also other third world struggles. So it was really part of the research where we were not only looking at the practice of artists, but really trying to understand the practice of or, or practices around solidarity for the Palestinian cause in these countries to understand why these artists would have even been engaged in um, given a work or how they would have come to become familiar with the Palestinian cause. Um, in the case of Poland, we sort of have a different scenario um, where there were um, uh, and and all over Eastern Europe, I would say, but in Poland and um, Hungary, we had a um, there was more of an official engagement with the PLO where there were exhibitions of folklore that were um, that took place here. You see one of them here um, with Arafat. And these were very much, you know, stages for deals that were happening between the PLO and those governments. So also, you know, it's important to be a little self-critical, you know, to not just think that these were like really beautiful, just art events, but these were moments for action, whether they're a different kind of political action, action to bring armed, you know, um, arm, arms in to, to support the struggle. Um, so I think it's important to be, um, to really think that these events do multiple things at times. Um, Another museum that kind of came to our attention through the research um, was uh, this artwork was sort of the center of it. Uh, this is a work by French artist Ernest Pignot Ernest, who made this work. Um, it was essentially a banner or like a um, an intervention he did in public space in Nice when Nice was uh, twinned with Cape Town um, in in the early 70s. And so his response as the mayor of Cape Town drove through um, niece was that they would he would see a family behind barbed wire and so really to understand to be you know in response to the idea that niece would partner with an apartheid city um, with the mayor in apartheid city or city under apartheid um, was you know pretty remarkable and so this was you know his response to it the context of South Africa um, so what kind of came from the the struggle against apartheid um, was that Ernest Pino Ernest, who gave a work to Chile, who gave a work to Palestine, was approached by um, by the um, UN committee to initiate a collection um, against apartheid. And so this is a third kind of museum or collection that came to be in this context. He then approached a number of artists. You can see very well-known international artists who gave works. Posters were made. So posters circulated of the artworks that were donated to this collection to sort of allow for people to access this collection in a different way. Um, and a collection was put together. Um, and what was interesting, it was not only artwork that was gathered, but also texts by authors. And so um, this collection, um, 
called Art Against Apartheid or Art Contra Apartheid toured the world. Um, and so this, you know, was something that became very, um, one was one of the three kind of museums in exile that we were um, looking at. Again, to link it back to artwork, this is the work that Ernest Pino Ernest gave to the Palestinian collection about South Africa. So it was, again, you start seeing, you see the threads and the, the links between these museums, not only through the ideas of a museum in, in, in exile or a solidarity collection, but through the artwork itself and through this, again, the cross-pollination of these different um, political causes existing together. The collection traveled to Japan. Its most remarkable tour was in Japan, where it traveled for 300 days to 197 cities. This doesn't sound unbelievable, but um, it was possible because a truck was built um, that could carry this collection and toured all over the country. Um, it is this crazy story. Um, there was a big red balloon to sort of attract people um, to see it. This was, it was called No Against Apartheid. Um, this was a way for Japan, Japan, or kind of different committees within Japan to speak about Japan's imperial history um, through the lens of the, the apartheid struggle. So, you know, again, you can see these layers of, of different ways in which people have, have, have used these collections, have exhibited these works for kind of the, the sake of you know, having people understand what apartheid is, but also to reflect back onto one's own kind of situation. The story of this collection is sort of a happy ending, kind of like Chile to a certain extent. The collection toured to many cities, um, eventually returned to South Africa, and for the first democratic parliament, they removed all the apartheid art, or rather the images or paintings of the apartheid leaders. Here, very symbolically, put the paintings or the artwork in the placed the seats of parliament um, and hung this collection in the parliament building. Eventually the collection moved into an archive into the Mayabuya Center, which is part of the University of Western Cape. Why? Because the museums were not properly desegregated to accept this collection. So this is also a very interesting thing to think about is that the country was not yet ready to handle this collection and to be able to speak about it properly on an institutional level, even till this day, it doesn't exist in a public space as a museum, you know, um, but rather is accessible um, through uh, through an archive um, that's actually the anti-apartheid struggle archive within a university. The fourth museum, and I'm sorry, I'm throwing names in various countries <laughs> all around, but the fourth museum uh, that we looked at, um, was uh, that came out of a conversation with a couple of artists in Paris where they said, yeah, you know, we gave to Chile, we gave to Palestine, but we also gave to Nicaragua. We're like, what do you mean you gave to, what do you mean you gave to Nicaragua? So we started asking and inquiring and um, Julio Leparque, uh, an, an Argentinian artist in Gontran Neto, a Brazilian artist, um, in this conversation told us about their engagement with uh, Nicaragua and uh, after the Sandinista revolution, the intent to build a collection in support of the people of Nicaragua. So it's interesting to think about the names of people versus Allende in kind of construct the construction of these collections. Um, here, when we start looking, the links again, links between the names of artists that gave across these four different museums overlap. Um, but also what came to become apparent to us is that there's a woman here, Carmen Vo, who's a Chilean gallerist, the woman on the left, um, she and Ernesto Cardenal, who is the Sandinista Minister of Culture at that time, um, 
they were the ones kind of behind this project. And Carmen was involved in the Museum of Solidarity and the Museum of um, International Resistance for Salvador Allende. And so you see that even one individual was involved in two different of these, two of these projects, the one for Chile and one for Nicaragua. So she was one of the individuals who played a central role in putting together this collection. Um, this Roberto Mata is the person on the image on the right, um, the right and in, in the center who, again, who, you know, played, a, had given work to all these different collections. In 82, this collection returns to Chile. These images look very similar, if you remember, to the one of Kalak showing the PLO cadre around of the, of the exhibition in Beirut. So you start even just trying to imagine what these militant, what these revolutions and militant um, uh, sort of those who be believed in militant struggle and others that maybe didn't so much and were kind of bringing art into the fore, trying to imagine these conversations is really interesting, I think, um, to kind of imagine what she's talking about, what she's telling them about, in the same way that I wonder what Kalik was telling these PLO cadre about in trying to explain the meaning of these works and what it meant to bring, you know, to have this international solidarity in support of these struggles. This collection ends um, a little bit differently, I would say. Um, it lives in a basement and cheat in, in Nicaragua. It's not available to the public. Um, a lot of different um, sort of, there are a lot of different stories that have, uh, that have been swirling around this collection, um, but, uh, we did have a chance, uh, myself with a colleague from Chile, to see some of these works in Nicaragua, um, but it's a pretty remarkable collection um, that over time. Um, but like the palace, the collection for Palestine, there's a lot of kind of fraught stories around what happened to the works. In the interest of time, I'll try to skip forward to some of the kind of connections to North Africa and prim primarily Morocco. So in kind of looking at these nodes, there are a few nodes um, and moments that, especially in Morocco, um, were uh, were worthwhile or kind of came to came to the fore in the research. So one is the Asila Festival. Um, the Asila Festival through the just the, the artists who came to be a part of it and those who started it. So Mohamed Nalihi was one of the the initiators of the of the festival. Um, was one of the links uh, to this exhibition. But also artists who came to become who joined the Asila Festival, like Krishna Reddy, Mona Saudi, Nasir Sumi, Samir Saleme, Diala Azawi. Um, there were a number of these artists who it was because of their meeting in the mid 70s in Asila, where they worked together that they, you know, Shutakashi artists who are not Arab who came to be part of giving a work to the exhibition in Palestine for for Palestine. Um, and again, this moment of kind of a collective workshop um, and a festival was something that, you know, we started seeing in the early 70s of Arab artists coming together in particular to think about their own practices as, as unions, as, um, as associations, as collectives. And so some of you may know about um, AMAP, sort of the association, you know, in, in Morocco, for example, of artists that were working together. Um, but so this is kind of one of the nodes that we point to um, as a reference point, um, you know, to link um, to to the exhibitions. And, and again, thinking about art in public space and, and murals and collectively working on murals is something that we can draw connections to, to practices in France at the time as well. And so it's trying to sort of see if there were links between artists, um, uh, between those and bringing art into public space. Um, and so that's another 
Another example was the Exposition Manifeste in Jamal Fna, which also was a response. Um, you know, I don't think I'm I'm certainly not the one to sort of speak to um, the history of modern art in Morocco and the Casablanca School, but sort of um, this is uh, one another example of an exhibition where, in response to a sort of the way the government wanted um, to sort of tell the story of Moroccan art, um, artists kind of took this uh, took their practice and what they want to do into their own hands and brought these works out into public space, into the most public of spaces in Marrakesh. And kind of a reference here is Souf, um, Souf magazine, which um, which had a very strong link. And actually the Palestinian struggle was sort of a breaking point in terms of the shift of the magazine. And so, of course, you had a number of artists uh, from the Casablanca School who were um, active members of Souf. But what, you know, what also uh, came was in the issue that was dedicated um, to the Palestinian revolution, um, things shifted. And that was sort of the moment where the editorial team announced that the review wanted to take a more direct, become like a more direct instrument of political work. And um, and to a number of the art, artists who are part of Souf did not want to kind of join that. And so kind of looking at this magazine and sort of the shift of what happened at that time was something that was um, quite important. And then another sort of link to kind of the two artists and to work in Morocco was the PLO representative um, there at that time, uh, Abu Marwan, whose name was Wajih Qasim. He was living, um, uh, he was, uh, he had been living in Algiers and he was formally appointed the PLO's representative in Morocco in 1969. Um, and so uh, the PLO had rented a small office in Rabat in the building across the street from the office of the Moroccan Writers' Union. Um, which had a very strong connection to or support of the Palestinian struggle. Coincidentally, the office was also on a floor below the apartment of Abdel Latif Labi, one of the founders of Souf. Um, and so, you, um, so the editorial team uh, of Souf, which was kind of the action committee, you know, had a very strong connection and link to Abu Marwan, who was physically just by physically being in in the same proximity of um, individuals who were part of this this. Uh, publication, you start seeing that, you know, there were more links that were drawn between them and um, conversations that took place. So Russia, my colleague, had the opportunity to speak to him and sort of understand kind of what that what that meant. And that that was a very um, significant connection, just that they were in that they were in such um, close space to each other. Another sort of um, a number of things we did not have the chance to look into this very much. I mean, so was a number of exhibitions that took place in support of the of Palestinian artists. Um, but the link was the Union of Arab Artists. And so with the second biennial, second Arab biennial in Rabat in 76, artworks that were exhibited there came to Beirut and became part of the collection in support of Palestine. Um, so the Union of Arab Artists and um, these what seem to be other exhibitions that took place around the same time or before the Rabat Biennial, which unofficially was dedicated to Palestine. And there was a lot of kind of drama or conversation if that should be the case. We see that there that there was a very strong um, conversation, especially with Ismail Shamut as the head of the Union of Arab Artists um, around the, the role of Palestine. Um, within kind of these unions and the work that these that these unions um, and then sometimes associations were doing and how they would respond to it. So in the case of the exhibition, um, the Iraqi pavilion at the second biennial in Rabat in 76 um, was dedicated to Palestine and in response to the massacre at Tal Zatar. Um, and there were 
a few of the works of Iraqi artists were the ones that ended up coming to Beirut to be part of the exhibition. The last thing I'll end on, just for the sake of time, was that um, an individual, Tony Maraini, um, who was a very central figure in uh, the movement of art in Morocco at that time, was someone who played a very important kind of role in our research um, as uh, Integral, um, the publication, kind of revealed a lot of the histories and writings of um, different exhibitions, Arab art exhibitions, um, which kind of drew the connections and, and obviously Palestine was a very central part of a lot of these links between um, some of these exhibitions. Uh, Tony Medellini sort of spoke to kind of what that history was in Morocco and, and in our publication, this is the publication, there was an interview that we did with her and there also was a text, an unpublished text um, by her uh, that in the process of doing the interview with her, um, and, you know, maybe a month or two months later, she had said, you know, I just was going through my papers and I found this text that I actually wrote for the International Art Exhibition of Her Palestine catalog, but I never published it. So it was kind of this really beautiful gem that um, in the end we we had. And this was this is the text and it was called for cultural humanism. And so um, this was her kind of in the different um, kind of messages by artist groups that was in the catalog for the International Art Exhibition for Palestine, this was meant to be in there, a message um, from and specifically about artists in Morocco and those who participated in the exhibition. Um, I'll leave it, I'm not gonna sort of read through it, but sort of you can sort of see her reading as to what the role of Palestine or what Palestine meant to the artists and the Association of Artists um, in Morocco at that time. Just in the interest of time, I think I'm just going to pause there so that we have time to speak. But um, sorry if I was kind of all over the place. Um, but I hope that you were able to sort of get a sense of, of this project, which in the end, and I have images if you're interested, this research took the form of an archival and documentary exhibition. So as I said, we were doing interviews with people. We were gathering archival material, scanning, photographing stuff. We rarely collected original material and transformed this research into a documentary and archival show that toured to a number toured in a number of cities. Um, and, uh, and we published this edited volume. Uh, there's no catalog of our exhibition because it wouldn't make any sense. There's no artwork in our exhibition, images of artwork, yes, but no original artwork. Um, but it was really an exhibition of stories, trying to tell the stories of not only these museums in exile and their links to each other, but also these networks of solidarity. And like I said, these different nodes um, that connected people, these different, um, you know, to understand what transnational solidarity at that time looked like in support of Palestine via exhibitions, collectives, um, sometimes artworks. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Maghreb in Past and Present Podcasts. To see related slides, please visit our website www.themagrebpodcast.com Other episodes are also available on iTunes and Podbean. For more information on our podcasts, visit our Facebook page Maghreb in Past and Present Podcasts. Subscribe to SEMA newsletter at www.sema-northafrica.org to SEMAT newsletter at www.sematmagrib.org and to Talim newsletter at legation.org or visit the webpage 
of the American Institute for Maghreb Studies. See you soon for a new episode. Do I have to smile?